show my wife a real Fourth of July because in Chicago you uh, pretty sure you have to be like certified or something to <laughs> to use fireworks. I know it sounds weird. It's totally true. Um, <clears throat> uh, the biggest point we're going to draw from this sermon this morning, um, I'm going to be preaching from Ephesians chapter two, uh, verses one through ten. Uh, the biggest thing I want you to get out of it, and I'm just going to tell you straight up from the beginning, uh, this is going to be an encouragement and an invitation. So I just want you to keep that in the back of your minds as we're going along. I'm going to go ahead and read through the whole text now, and then we'll open up with a word of prayer. Uh, starting in verse 1. <clears throat> and you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you this morning uh, and we thank you for your word, Lord. We ask now that you would open our hearts to what you'd have to say to us. Um, And we just thank you again for this time, Lord. I love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So... When it comes to the Bible, something uh, that needs to be mentioned is context. Context is super important in the scriptures. Uh, if you get the context wrong, you're going to get the scripture wrong. So we're going to look, quickly look at a little background of Ephesians. It was written by the Apostle Paul, and it was written to a church in Ephesus. Um, in the context, in this particular passage, Paul is reminding them uh, of three things, which we're going to focus on this morning. Um, what they were before Christ, who they are now in Christ, and how we walk in light of that. Um, In order to get to the beautiful but of the Bible, the but God being rich in mercy, we're going to have to go through some rough grounds first. We're going to have to go through and talk about the first three verses. Um, And I'll just read them again and we'll go through them. They're, They're essentially talking about the fact that we're sinners and that we're wicked and Yeah, so it's going to be pleasant. I'll I'll read it one more time. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Um, so, we're dead in our trespasses and sins. In order to understand that, we have to go back a little bit to uh, Genesis. And by a little bit, I mean a lot, to the beginning. 
Uh, before the fall, in Genesis 1 and 2, God created the world. He created it good. He created it awesomely. Um, and when he created Adam and Eve, they were in, and this is key here, he, they were in relationship with God. He walked in the garden with them. I don't know if you guys can imagine that for a second, but that's pretty awesome. Walking through the garden with God. Pretty dope. <laughs> I'll try. And my wife was warning me not to use too much slang. I apologize. <laughs> um, so, everything was good. And Eve, being deceived of Satan, who was a snake, um, did what God asked her not to do. And a lot of people like to go, oh, that means it was the woman's fault that we sinned. But that's actually not the case. Adam was standing there the whole time. Uh, his sin was passivity. He was just kind of hanging out there and kind of just going with the flow. Uh, and me and you can probably relate. I'm a very passive by nature. so And I know most men are passive in nature in some shape or form. We get that from Adam. So Adam was ultimately responsible. And because of Adam's sin, uh, there was just uh, sin, curse. We're all broken. The world is broken. Uh, we're broken by our nature. And uh, right away we're in sin because of Adam. And so when the Bible says that we're dead in our trespasses and sins, he's saying that uh, spiritually we are dead. We are broken in that relationship that we had with God before the fall. And it affects everything. <laughs> it affects everything. So um, when it says following the course of this world, he's actually referring to the culture at large. And if you go back to Ephesus, um, back in those days, um, uh, pagan worship was really big. Witchcraft was really big. Uh, just lots of different religions. Uh, nothing's really changed, as you can see, because we still kind of live in that state today. Um, and, and so that's the world. We were a part of it. So before Christ, we were a part of the world. Moving on, and here comes a real fun one. Let me find the verse. Following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. The prince of the power of the air is referring to Satan. So what this text is saying is that before Christ, we were followers of Satan, just by default. Um, just to describe Satan to you for a bit, uh, John 8.44, this is Jesus speaking about Satan. He says, He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there was no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. It's a pleasant description, right? Um, so before Christ, we followed Satan. Remember, encouragement. An invitation. Just keep that in the back of your minds. It doesn't sound encouraging so far. It's actually about to get worse. But, <laughs> so before the fall, or before Christ, we were followers of Satan, according to this text. And then on to verse 3. Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. When the Bible says our flesh, he's, uh, the Paul is referring to our sin nature. We all have it. It's that side of us that enjoys sin. Because let's be honest, we enjoy sin, right? It's pleasant for a few minutes, isn't it? 
We can all relate to that. And so, what this text is saying is that we can't completely blame the devil and the world for the reason why we're broken. It means that we're ultimately responsible for our sin. Which is a hard truth to follow, especially the culture we live in today. The culture would tell us, oh, we're all basic good people, right? I mean, we just lie from time to time, right? It's not a big deal, right? Wrong. According to the Bible, we are by nature going to choose sin and rebellion over God every time. Um, And I mean, just look through the Ten Commandments, right? It's, I mean, how many of you ever lied? I know I have. More than I could count. Stolen? Oh yeah, been there. Um, Committed adultery? I've never done that per se, but Jesus kind of flips that on his head for us when he goes. Um, You've heard it said if you commit adultery, but I tell you that if you look at a woman lustfully, you've committed adultery in your heart. That kind of throws it on his head because we've all been guilty of that, men and women, right? Um, And so, we're kind of in a messed up situation here, right? We're broken. Uh, The world around us is going against the things of God. Satan is going against the things of God. And then we, by our nature, being uh, enemies of ourselves, are going against the nature of God. Because by our nature, we're going to choose rebellion over God every time. So we're in a predicament. And if I were just to close the sermon out right now, it'd be kind of like, uh-oh. Right? We'd be kind of in a mess. But, praise be to God, there is a but. It's right here. Um, Which brings me to my point two. That was point one, by the way. We're dead. Uh, Point two is God is rich in mercy. And I'll just read uh, four through six again. It says, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. A lot of in Christ Jesus is in that little text. So... When we think of God being merciful, maybe you think of God like this. Old dude, on his throne, manna in his beard, angry. I guess I'll show mercy to them. Whatever. But according to this text, being rich in mercy, he's saying that God delighted in showing mercy to us. That even when we were dead, he brought us back to life. That's an amazing truth. And that's an encouragement, right? Encouragement. See, I told you to come. Um, with the great love with which he loved us. I was trying to come up with a, a good way to kind of compare great love with which he loved us. And I, I think the, the, th- the only thing I could come up with is, uh, in this, well, when I held Zacchaeus in my arms for the first time, he was just a newborn baby. And I looked down on him and I just, I loved him right away. I didn't know the kind of person he'd be. I didn't know anything about him. I just knew that he was there. And I loved him a lot. Just, and I just met him. Crazy. And that's a good love. But in comparison to the great love with which he loved us, there is no comparison. God coming down in human form and dying on a cross for our sins 
The sins we just talked about in the first three verses where we're broken and wicked and by nature going to choose sin over God. The fact that he came is not only a showing of his great mercy, but it's also a showing of his great love for us. And then on to the next part where it says, And even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive. So you see this correlation in the text where we were dead. We were dead, we were dead, we were dead. We were messed up. We were wicked. But yet he was still willing to bring us back to life. And then raised us up with him and seated us in the heavenly places. We've been adopted into God's family. We've been adopted into God's family. And what an encouragement that is. Because it's not like God just died on the cross for our sins and was like, alright, you're good to go. Scurry on. No, no, no. He died on the cross for our sins, raised us up with him, and then adopted us into his family. Which is super awesome, by the way. Uh, And moving down. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. You see all the in Christ Jesuses through that text? There's a lot of them. What he's saying is is that God is going to show the immeasurable riches of his grace to us because of what Christ did. This is the reminder. The reminder is that because of what Christ did on the cross for us, we can be encouraged as believers in Christ. We can be encouraged because his kindness was shown to us in the cross of Christ. And uh, now to the 8 and 9 is a very popular text for good reason. Uh, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. Here's what a lot of people do. A lot of people go, I go to church every week. I'm good to go. I tithe my 10%, maybe 5 because I'm a little broke right now. And uh, so I'm good. I helped an old lady across the street the other day. Boom. Good deed done for the week. I'm good to go. And we fall into this deception that somehow these minute good deeds are going to make us right before God. That they're going to earn us our salvation. But that's not the case. According to this text, it's saying the fact that you have faith in God to begin with is a gift from God. Like, if, you have, if you're a Christian in here today and you have faith in Christ, it's a gift. You had nothing to do with it. That whole idea of Christian pride is thrown out the window because we have nothing to boast in. Christ did everything for us. In Hebrews 12, it says he is the author and perfecter of our faith. He's the one who saved us, and he's the one who perfects us. He gets the credit for it all. Therefore, we should fall on our knees humbly before God rather than boasting and walking an old lady across the street. So we have nothing to boast in. This is going really fast. <clears throat> um, and to my final point. It's going to be a fast sermon, guys. That's all right. Um, the, uh, the final point is in, in verse 10. It says... For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk 
in them. There's a cool thing in the text that's going on here. At the beginning of the first three verses, we were going, we were walking towards death. We were walking towards hell because of our nature. And now at the end of it, we get through to it. And after Christ has done all the work that he's done, we are walking in him. We are walking in, we are his workmanship. Um, When he says workmanship, that's actually a Greek word. I learned a little Greek. I know. I'm impressed too. Um, (laughs) It's, I can't, I can't remember what the word uh, said. I think it's like poema or something. And anyways, it's a direct translation to the word poem. And so we are his artistic work. So in Christ, we are his artistic work. And, and to close out, I wanted to, uh, I wanted to read lyrics to a rap song. I originally wanted to show you the rap song because it's really good, but I figured I'd lose most of you because you're probably not all into rap. <laughs> so I figured I'd read it to you in poetic form. If I start rapping, I apologize. It's a really good song. Um, it's called Instruments of Mercy. It's by a group called The Beautiful Eulogy. Uh, the language in the song is uh, an encouragement to us, and it's kind of what I wanted to get uh, at in the first place. It's an encouragement in the fact that because of what Christ did for us, um, they do it in like a really musical, there's a lot of musical language behind it, and it's were his instruments of mercy. So I'll just read it, hopefully really slowly, so I don't lose you. Um, so yeah, here it is. <clears throat> The same God who measured the waters in the hollows of his holy hands is the same God that uses broken man to expand his fixed plan. Sovereign, infinite, eternal, personal, and intimate. Independently playing the harp with the various parts of our heart's instrument. A symphony of saints saved from sin singing spiritual songs pausing in awe where all praise and all applause belongs to God, stretching and bending, pitch pruning, tightening and tuning. It's the residue of his resin that's the evidence of his divine choosing, using the weather and the storm to conform us into the image of our glorious Lord, scorn to compose a score, being stitched together in melodious chord, in the strumming and pressing of strings that momentarily stings, but in the end it ultimately brings us to a place that causes hearts to sing. And this is the chorus. With your hands, play your song. Use my life, I am your instrument. Tune my heart to sing your song. Use my life. I am your instrument. This is verse 2. God, I thank you for your grace and your mercy in the face of adversity. I never went to college, never graduated, but pain is a university. When I hold up my diploma, there's no dilemma despite my lack of credits. Because Jesus paid it all. Yeah, that's my story when they roll the credits. A lifetime of suffering is nothing compared to the glory being prepared. And we can never find a stairway to heaven or climb up a ladder to get there. It's only by the merits of Christ that sinners inherit eternal life. So I pray we grow in dependency. Strip away my self-reliant tendencies. Organize and order my days according to your ordinance. I'm an instrument in your orchestra, Lord, and you are my only audience. Holding your promises close and watching as your plan unfolds. All for your glory and praise, playing the song 
that you composed. With your hands, play your song. Use my life. I am your instrument. Tune my heart to sing your song. Use my life. I am your instrument. And that is the full song there. Um, Again, back to encouragement and invitation. My encouragement is, believers in Christ, be reminded of what Christ did for you because in that reminder it spurs us on to do the things He's called us to do. Invitation. If you're in here this morning and you're not in Christ, I would invite you to repent of your sins, give your life to Him, and join us hypocrites as we pursue the Lord together. Um, I'm going to, I guess I'll just close this in prayer, and I believe Larry's going to have uh, lead us in communion. <clears throat> but Father God, I thank you for uh, today. I thank you for this opportunity to open your word before these people. I pray for our hearts, Lord, that you would encourage us to uh, be a people who uh, run wholeheartedly after you and your ways. And uh, I would just thank you for this time, Lord. I love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you.